Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. KYW Original Podcasts. Very pleased, as always, to chat with former Phillies general manager Ruben Amaro Jr., who did really good work this year. Great work, in fact, on NBC Sports Philadelphia, calling some of the Phillies games. He also works down the hall at WIP. Always appreciate his insight. Ruben, thank you. Nice to see you. Um, first thing I have for you, Ruben, is that you know, 28 and 32 is not what a lot of us expected this season from the Phillies. I'm sure it's not what you expected either. Why do you think the Phillies ultimately missed the postseason? I think it's all about pitching, and, and uh, when you start to lose games late uh, in, in in the contests, when you have opportunities to win games, I mean, you really have to win the games that you're supposed to win, and, and obviously uh, the bullpen had its struggles this year, and, and I think that had a, a, a more of an effect even later on because I think it just mentally and uh, it kind of fatigued guys. I think it's one of those things, and in the clubhouse, when you're when you're winning a baseball game and and uh, you're thinking, you know what, we're expecting to lose uh, late in the game, then it makes it more and more difficult, I think, to, to stay focused and stay energized. And I think that had its uh, long-term goal, uh, effect on the club. Definitely a historically bad bullpen. Um, and Larry Bola told me before the season, you need a good bullpen to make the po- postseason. And the Phillies certainly did not have that. And if they would have had just a little bit of better bullpen, maybe they would have made it, as you alluded to. Um, what should the Phillies' offseason priorities be? Yeah, there's a lot of them because there's so many question marks now. Obviously, the JT Rumoto thing has uh, has come to a bit of a head, um, and um, but I, but not only that, I think there's a whole a host of questions in the middle of their uh, in the middle of their club. Um, when I talk about the middle of the field, you talk, you talk about strength of teams. It's about uh, having strength through the middle of your field, and that's pitching, catching. That's first, uh, excuse me, that's second base, and that's shortstop and center field. And there's some question marks in pretty much every one of those positions right now, and that makes it very difficult. I, I believe in pitching. I believe in starting pitching. I believe in uh, obviously the bullpen needs to be shored up a little bit, but um, but there's a lot of other question marks besides that pitching that that really needs to be dealt with. Are do they have a real center field, uh, uh, everyday center fielder? Do they have a uh, an, an everyday shortstop in, in Segura. He's the only real choice right now if uh, Didi goes away. And then, um, you know, second base, you know, where are you with Kingery? Where is with Segura? Where do you play him? So there are some question marks there. And, uh, you know, it's not, no, no simple task. All valid question marks. But the one that you mentioned first is the one that a lot of fans are, are really eager to find out what's going to happen. And you know that's JT Real Muto. How right. should the Phillies approach this situation? Well, I think they're. I think they don't have much of a choice other than to to see how the market plays out because I, I don't know what their budget is. I'm not sure what where their uh, dollars are going to be allocated or how much how many dollars they have to allocate. Um, but I think that they have to be real prudent about you know, where they go with it. Obviously, they they're going to need a frontline catcher. I, I I like Mr. Knapp, but he's a uh, but he to me is not an everyday catcher on a, on a championship caliber club. Um, and I think the catching positions are a pretty important one. So. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you have to figure out exactly what you, you know, get your your people together, your lieutenants together and figure out exactly what your priorities are. Um, that the catching position being one of them, um, is it the highest priority? I just don't know. And how they're going to allocate those dollars. That, that's a question mark. 
Well, I guess as a follow-up to that, we all know who the Phillies got JT Real Muto for. It was for a collection of players, and the one that stands out is Sixto Sanchez, uh, who could give the Phillies fits for many, 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 many years to come. So I guess because of the fact that they traded Sixto Sanchez to the Marlins for JT, does that, in a sense, make it a must to bring back JT Real Muto? I don't know. I think it puts a little bit more pressure on the organization. Um, but anytime you trade within uh, within division, you know, it, it can come back to bite you at some point. Um, they did. I mean, the reason why they did it were very valid reasons. I mean, I think Matt Clentak and his people believe that they were, uh, you know, a piece or two away from being a championship caliber club. And uh, obviously getting a JT Real Muto was a very sound investment, I think. Um the question is, can you keep him uh, any longer? And and the re- other question is, for those two years that you had him, did you really believe that you were a championship caliber club? And if you believe that, then you know, then you got to kind of go for it. But um, but now it becomes a more of an issue, obviously, just because um, you know it is in division, and and you really don't have anybody right now to replace JT. If he had somebody to replace him, it'd be different. Um, and I don't think that uh, Marshawn is quite ready yet. And as I said, I think uh, I think Knapp is a good player, but not an everyday uh, catcher. So um, it does put some pressure on the organization. I think that they're going to try to do what they can to sign the guy. Um, but again, uh, it takes two to tango. And, and, you know, free agency is free agency. And he has the right to go wherever he wants and to listen to any team that he wants. And he has uh, basically a month or less to uh, to, to do that. And uh and I'm sure he's very eager to move the market. I mean, he was very ob- it was very obvious in his arbitration cases that uh, he wants to set the market, and he is the player to do that at the catch- catching position this year. It, it will not be surprising if he gets top dollar on the market. That would not be surprising at all. You know, I kind of compare it to something that you did um, back in 2009 going into 2010, and we all know what it is. It's acquiring the late, great Roy Halladay, and, and you did not trade with a division opponent like Matt did with the Marlins a couple of years ago, but when you traded Kyle Drabeck and Michael Taylor, and I believe Travis Darnot too, to the, to the Blue Jays, when you got Doc back, you extended Doc. So, and right away. So how important was it to extend Doc right away? And I guess as a follow-up to it was, would you still have done the deal if you weren't extending Doc at that moment? I probably wouldn't have done with the assets that uh, I probably wouldn't have done it with the assets that we ended up dealing just because of the quality of the assets we felt. Um, and, and so, um, you know, for me, we always believed in, in all the deals we made, we tried to, um, to get players for at least a, a, another year um, of control. And we did with Roy Oswald. Uh, we convinced him to stay on. He had a chance to take, you know, uses no trade clause. Um, Hunter Pence was the same way. I mean, these are all guys that we had some control over and uh, we thought it was pretty important because we had, you know, you have only kind of a certain window where you feel like you're going to be real effective and, um, and have success. And, um, and so we felt like in the, in, in the case of Royale, if we're going to give up that kind of quality of an asset, uh, that we certainly had to extend him. And at that point, we were extending no more than three years. So we got uh, Doc done, and we were happy about that. Unfortunately, we ended up moving Cliff Lee in that deal, in that deal as well, which, um, which frankly was probably a mistake. We probably should have held on to the guy or at least taken our time a little bit more to um, – to get the assets back that we really wanted uh, that were maybe closer to the major leagues. We got some quality young prospects, but they were too far away from the, uh, from the major leagues at that time. But 
um, you know, you make certain deals and some, some work out and some don't. And, uh, but I, but as far as, you know, control of the player is concerned, I think in the case of, of JT Romuto, I, I, I truly believe that Matt Klintak, uh, believed one, that he was a contending team and that that was the piece that was going to take him to the next level. And then, um, and he had it for two years and then, um, and I think he fully believed that he could probably extend him, but, um, you know, things, some, sometimes things don't work out. Do you think that, I mean, when looking back 2020 hindsight, do you think that two years of control was enough to give up the type of players that they gave up to the Marlins? Do you think having JT for a minimum of two years was, would you have felt comfortable doing something like that? Um, I, I, I would not have felt comfortable in, in, in my situation only because I didn't, I didn't really believe that the Phillies had a championship caliber club yet. Um, I think that they were close but i don't think that they had um the assets yet as a as a group and as a team to um to take that shot for a two-year window um but you know you assess your team a certain way and you you know you hope that uh, you, you make the right decisions uh in my estimation having observed them from the other side with the mets i just didn't feel like they were a they were quite a at, at that level and uh, and it's unfortunate because I think that they got a great asset, um, and I'm hopeful that they can still sign him. I mean, all is not lost yet, so there's a, there's still a possibility that they can sign him. Very true, very true. How would you repair this bullpen, Ruben? You know, it's difficult because I think they've got a kid coming in, Connor Brogdon. They've they've uh, they had some serious injury issues. I mean, they uh, Ranger Suarez was down, and then was not really Ranger Suarez when he came back. There are some. Uh, there are some pieces there. I think Naris is still a piece. I don't know that he's a closer necessarily. There are some pieces there that I think, um, you know, from year to year, some guys have great years. Some guys have really, really bad years. And, and that's, that's kind of the way of the bullpen from time to time. But I think ultimately um, you're going to have to try to find the right pieces to uh, push into the back end of that bullpen. Uh, I always believed in young starting pitching and veteran bullpen guys, just because I think the veterans handle the, the tight, the, those tight situations or difficult situations a little bit better than the younger guys do. Um, but you also have to build from within and you got to be hopeful that guys like Jojo Romero and Connor Brogdon and maybe some others can step up and be, you know, quality assets in the bullpen uh, because you, it's very difficult to spend heavy in that area um, unless you have a real good quality uh, rotation um, and really, to me, there's only three guys in the rotation that I think that you can count on at this stage, and there's still some serious question marks there as well. So would you also try to add starting pitching? I know you always say pitching. You're a big pitching guy. Would you try to add a starting pitcher to uh, this rotation? I mean, you got Nola, Wheeler, Eflin came on at the end of the season. We don't know what's going to happen with Arietta, um, Velasquez may have a role in the rotation next year. We don't, we don't know. So what, what would you do about the, at least the back part of the rotation? To, to me, there's far too many question marks and you really probably need eight to 11 starting pitchers. Anyway, I think you got to try to create as much depth as possible. I would sign at least two starting pitchers um, at the very least. And, and then you have to try to bolster it with the six year free agents and those kind of guys that, that have had some success in the past that you can count on. Um, if you don't have those assets, a so Spencer Howard is a guy that, you know, you'd like to have Spencer Howard be in your rotation, but he's a big question mark too. He was pushed from basically a ball to, to or double A to, to, to be in, in the major leagues. And he's not quite ready. I don't think to be a major league every day, um, excuse me, a, a, a guy that you could put in the rotation every five days. So 
Um, you know, there's some question marks. So at least to me, you have to sign at least two guys or at least count on two other guys that, that can uh, to help fill out the rotation. And then, then you got to hope you have, you know, four or five other guys that can that give you some more depth. It will certainly be interesting to see what happens with Spencer Howard. I forgot to, I forgot to mention him. Um, Joe Girardi, what did you think? How do you think he did in his first year as manager of the Phillies? A really unusual year, obviously, but how do you think he did managing a club that had a bullpen that we discussed just wasn't good and then injuries and all sorts of other things that came up? I really enjoyed uh, listening to him pre and post and how he kind of uh, uh, presented himself. Um, I'm not in the clubhouse. One of the unfortunate uh, parts of this whole COVID business is that we're not able to really get in there right. and, and find out, you know, what's happening, what the dynamics are in the clubhouse. Uh, it seemed like he had a very steady hand. He seemed very uh, uh, even keeled and positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, that's always a plus for the players. Um, but he was dealt, you know, kind of a difficult situation. Anytime he, he tried to go to the bullpen, he tried different combinations of things and it just didn't really work out for him. And that's a, you know, makes you feel like you're not doing a very good job. But, um, but I think sometimes, you know, you got to lay it on the players. The players have to perform for you. And if they're not performing, then it makes it very difficult. But, um, but I think he did a nice job. I have a great deal of respect for Joe Girardi. I believe he's an excellent baseball man. And I like the way that he is going about things and emphasizing, you know, the important fundamentals of the game. Uh, I think that at times the Phillies did a very good job in that area. There were times when they played really good baseball. Um, but it was difficult because I think it's hard to um, – it's hard to bring personalities together in a situation like this because you just can't spend enough time together at, you know, working on things, being on the field. Um, there were limited, you know, times on the field and in the clubhouse. So it's difficult to bring that camaraderie together. Um, and, uh, in this situation, but, uh, but I think overall it seemed like, uh, he did a pretty darn good job. My last one for you, Ruben, it's a two-parter. Um, it's got a negative and a positive aspect to it. So I guess we'll start with the negative so we end on the positive. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what disappointed you most about the Phillies in this 2020 season? And what gives you, you know, I guess, in what ways are you optimistic about the future with this, with this club? Well, the one thing that gave a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth at the end of the season was uh, the energy level of the club when they were actually making a run in in a pennant run and then the way that they played throughout that that portion of the season. You know, the last 10 or 12 games, the last two weeks of the season, whether it was fatigue, whether it was mental fatigue, um, whether it was a, you know, and, and I happen to believe that it had to do with uh, them losing so many games late in the late in games that it took its toll. But uh, I was just a little concerned about the overall steady energy that was not on the field. I didn't see the players, um, you know, really fighting and being urgent about wanting to win. And, you know, they only really had to win two or three games there at the end. And it just didn't seem like they had the, the urgency to do that. Um, I don't know whether that's, you know, player personnel. I don't know whether that's, uh, you know, some kind of feeling that's going on in the clubhouse. I think that there's got to be a, a little bit of a makeup check there and to find out, you know, who are the energy guys, who are the guys that you need to step up, who are the people that are necessary in your clubhouse to, you know, take them to the next level. So that's a concern. Um, as far as what I liked about the season, I mean, like I said, I think that they did some things fundamentally, ran the bases pretty well. They um, they generally caught the ball well, although it's not a great um, defensive team. Um, I think they, they played okay there. Um, 
And uh, I think Zach Wheeler was a plus. I mean, Zach Wheeler bringing him in and having him play the way he pitched, the way he pitched um, was clearly a plus. I think he's got a chance to be a very good one for a long time, very steady top part of the rotation uh, pitcher. Um, And I think they're going to have to try to build on that pitching as much as they possibly can. NBC Sports Philadelphia, WIP, former Phillies general manager Ruben Amaro Jr. Lots of titles, lots of insight. Uh, thank you for, for taking some time out this, this year to talk about the Phillies. I appreciate it. Look forward to the next time we chat and in, enjoy the postseason. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Have a good one. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.